Our scripture reading this evening is Genesis chapter 2. Genesis 2, the text which we will not reread is verses 18 through 23. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it He had rested from all His work which God created and made." These are the generations of the heavens and of the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens and every plant of the field before it was in the earth and every herb of the field before it grew. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth and there was not a man to till the ground. But there went up a mist from the earth and watered the whole face of the ground And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. And the Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground made the Lord God to grow every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food, the tree of life. Also, in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and from thence it was parted and became into four heads. The name of the first is Pison, that is it which compasseth the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good, there is Delium and the onyx stone. And the name of the second river is Gihon, the same as it that compasseth the whole land of Ethiopia. And the name of the third river is Hittichel, that is it which goeth toward the east of Assyria. And the fourth river is Euphrates. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And 
he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. This is the sacred scripture inspired and true. May God bless the reading of it. As announced, the text is Genesis 2, 18 through 23. Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the foundation of our society is not only shaking, and it's been shaking for a long time, but it is in my lifetime and in your lifetime now that the very foundation of society is crumbling to pieces. It was only a few months ago at the turn of the new year that the widely popular and easily accessible Dictionary.com announced as its Word of the Year for 2022, Woman. Because in 2022, searches for the word woman spiked. People everywhere were looking up the definition of woman. That's due in large part because transgender identity and rights has surged to the forefront of our national discourse. And that's also because a nominee for the Supreme Court, when asked to define woman, refused. And refused because she's not an expert in biology. So what is a woman, and that became a popular question. What is a woman? The foundations are crumbling. It's right now in our lifetime that marriage has officially been redefined by the Supreme Court. And it's right now in our lifetime that society is redefining manhood and womanhood. The most basic terms and concepts of human existence. In fact, it's gotten so bad and so absurd, and the rebellion is so great that even ungodly men and women who have no fear of God in their hearts are pulling out of the public schools because all of this transgenderism is being so aggressively pushed, even in public schools. The foundations are crumbling. What is a woman? Everyone knows that a woman is an adult female human being. And everyone knows that a man is an adult male human being. 
And everyone knows that a marriage is a lifelong, committed, exclusive relationship between one man and one woman. But all these matters are now up in the air. What is a man, a woman, a marriage? Let's go back to the beginning tonight. Let's open up the unchanging, authoritative Word of God. And let's follow the methodology of the Lord Jesus Christ who when He was confronted by the Pharisees as they came tempting Him regarding matters of marriage, divorce, and remarriage, essentially our Lord said, I'm not going to talk to you until we go back to the beginning. And you know the beginning. You have the Scriptures. Have ye not read... Matthew 19, verse 4, Have ye not read that He which made them in the beginning made them male and female? And then Jesus continues, and He quotes from the passage that we will consider tonight in Genesis chapter 2. Let's go back to the beginning. If you want to understand something, you need to grasp the origin of it. Let's go back to the beginning, said our Lord. And let's do that tonight. And may God use the preaching of His Word in the service of the Gospel of Jesus Christ to give us and our young people and children conviction so that the foundation of the church does not even begin to shake. God brings the woman to Adam. We'll take that as our theme tonight and look at three things. First of all, the act of God. Second, the response of Adam. And third, the significance for us. The act of God in the text consists of three parts. And the first part is God's act to awaken Adam to the conscious realization that he was lacking something. And we find that in the first verse of the text, verse 18. But before we look at verse 18, let's just make this clear, because it's not always clear in our minds, that in Genesis 1, verse 1, through Genesis 2, verse 3, we have the account of the creation of all things and how God rested on the seventh day. When you keep reading in Genesis 2 and verse 4 and 5 and following, the chronology does not continue. We're not now reading about day 8 or day 9 or week 2 or week 3, but in the rest of Genesis 2, the inspired writer is going back into the first week, particularly to that very significant sixth day, and he's recounting for us, he's detailing for us more clearly what exactly happened. He's relating very distinctly what happened on that sixth day. So now we pick up the reading in the text. Verse 18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man... God made a man. His name was Adam. And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. It is not good. That's a shocking statement in light of 
Everything we read in Genesis chapter 1, where God says, it is good, it is good. And now God not only thinks, but God says about something that it is not good. And what is not good is Adam's aloneness. And that's not good because as long as Adam remains alone, then the great purpose of God with Adam will not be fulfilled. And what's not good about Adam being alone is made plain later when God will bring to him a woman. So what's not good about Adam being alone is that he is incomplete. He cannot express his social nature as a human being. God made Adam for intimate fellowship with him as the living God and with others who are like Adam. But no matter where Adam went in all of the Garden of Eden, he couldn't find anyone. He couldn't find anything anywhere that could understand him and know him and relate to him and communicate with Him, and socialize with Him in the mutual bonds of love. And so God said, it is not good that man be alone. But Adam doesn't know this. He doesn't know he's alone and that it's not good. Because Adam had just been created and God is his God. And he loves the Lord his God with all his heart as he dwells in the Garden of Eden. Everything he sees, everything he experiences is indescribably amazing. So God has to wake him up to the conscious realization that something's not good. And that's what God does. Verses 19 and 20. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what He would call them. Whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and to the fowl of the air and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. Just as he would do later by his almighty hand of providence, bringing to Noah at the door of the ark all these animals, God, by his hand of providence, brings to the king of creation all these animals, the birds of the sky, the beasts of the field, so that Adam can name them. Now, Adam's calling was not to brainstorm and arbitrarily select different labels, names for different creatures as if he looked at something we might know as a zebra and say, hmm, shall I call this a giraffe? I suppose I could call it a kangaroo. Why don't I call it a zebra? That's not what Adam did. Every creature that appeared before Adam already had a name by virtue of its creation by God. In the Scripture, the name is revelatory. The name tells you what the thing is, what it essentially is. So later, God will make a woman and you know her name will be Eve. Well, of course her name will be Eve. She cannot be called Mary or Priscilla or Salome because of who she is. She's the mother of all living. And there's one name that means mother of all living. That's Eve. Of course she will be called Eve. All of these animals, by virtue of their creation, 
They have a name. It's built right into them. Now the thing with Adam in the state of original righteousness is that he had a superior knowledge. And Adam was able to look at a thing and discern what it really was. He could see the essence of a thing, of an animal, and he would immediately know what the name of that creature was. So here they all come. God brings them to Adam. And now he's calling out the name. Calling it out. And whatever name he called out, well, of course, that was the name of it. And that's what the Scripture teaches in verse 19. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, that was the name thereof. Not this, that became the name thereof, as if it didn't have a name. It comes to Adam, and now it leaves with a name. That's not what happened. It had a name. And whatsoever Adam called out, that, that was the name thereof. So he's calling out the names. And it strikes him. Two. Noah saw this also. Two. 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 Each one has another just like it that fits it, that complements it and goes with it. A male and a female. A male and a female. A male and a female. And then it dawns on Adam, I'm the only one in the whole of the creation who doesn't have another just like me. Verse 20, But for Adam there was not found and help meet for him. A helper is someone who lives with you. They love you. They care for you. They assist you. A helper. And something is meat if it fits. It corresponds. So that a helper who's meat for you is a helper that meets you at your level. That fits you. That corresponds to you. That's of the same rank. Of the same spirituality. Has the same life as you. And no matter where Adam went, in the whole of the Garden of Eden... He couldn't find anyone or anything anywhere that could communicate with Him and understand Him. There was nothing else that was created in the image of God so that together as kindred spirits, they can walk in fellowship one with another and fellowship with God. There wasn't any. There were birds. And one of the birds could come and fly down and land on a little tree branch above Adam's head and could sing a nice melody. And that's very nice to hear the birds sing. And there may have been a creature, something like what we know as a dog, and with its nice coat, it could come up beside Adam and rub against his leg and nuzzle into his bosom and whimper a bit, and Adam could pet that creature. And that's very nice for Adam. But there wasn't anything or anyone that was just like Him. Not even the angels, for they are of a different nature. And certainly there wasn't any hominid. Some parent creature from whom Adam had descended in millions of years of evolutionary development, had there been some parent creature, a hominid, uh, Adam could have could have related somehow to that creep. There was none. 
None. And so God's first act is to wake Adam up to the conscious realization, I'm alone. God's second act was to make a woman. 21 and 22, And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman. God doesn't put Adam to sleep because God will now play the part of a surgeon and as it were, giving him a a kind of anesthetic so that Adam doesn't feel any pain when God opens him up to take out one of his ribs. He'll just put him to sleep. That's not what God did. God put Adam to sleep because God is about to perform the wonder work of creation. And when our God creates, He will not have human eyewitnesses He made the whole world, and then He made the man. And now, before He makes the last creature, the woman, He puts the man to sleep, and then He makes the woman. Adam will not see. And really, the same thing is true in the spiritual realm. Regeneration, according to the Scripture, is a new creation. That first work of the Holy Spirit when He comes to the dead elect sinner and He works new life in the sinner, that's regeneration. Scripture calls that a new creation. The canons of Dort call it a supernatural work that is not inferior to the creation of the world. You don't see regeneration. You don't experience regeneration. Regeneration always occurs below the level of of our consciousness. The only way you know your regeneration is by the fruits thereof. There are no witnesses in regeneration. It's a new creation. There are no witnesses when God creates. You will have no human eyewitnesses in order to magnify The written word. Now every man knows that God made the sun because the heavens are declaring God's glory every day. Psalm 19. But no one knows when God made the sun. And no one knows how God made the sun. There's not a scientist. There's not a professor. There's not a man or a woman anywhere, not even Adam himself, who knows because no one was there. The only way you can know is the Word. In order to magnify His Word, God has no human eyewitnesses of His creation. And because we believe this Word, we believe what it says tonight, that God put Adam to sleep. And when Adam was sleeping, God opened up his flesh, and God took out one of his ribs, and He turned that rib into a woman. Verse 22 says, made he a woman. And literally in the Hebrew, we read, built he 
a woman. God built a woman out of that rib. If you ever built anything, then you know with building that there's a plan and there's foresight and there's care and there's craftsmanship and there's precision and attention to detail. So God took a rib and out of that rib, He built the crowning masterpiece, the last part of the whole creation. He built a woman. He didn't take her out of the dust of the ground as He did Adam. Had He taken her out of the dust of the ground, then we, really we would have two. We would have two independent beginnings. Two sources. But God made the man by taking him out of the dust of the ground. And God will, God will bring forth the whole of the human race by bringing the human race out of Adam and Eve. But even that woman Eve, even the woman, she came out of the man, so that all human beings come out of one source, one organic head, who is Adam. Out of him, God built a woman. And now the third and climactic act of God in the text is to take that woman and bring her to the man. Verse 22, and brought her unto the man. This was a wedding. This is marriage. That's very plain from verse 24, where the inspired writer Moses will go on to say, Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. That's the institution of the creation ordinance of marriage for all human beings. Therefore, and then what follows? Therefore, it doesn't make any sense. Unless, what comes before it in the text tonight is a marriage. Then we have, verse 24, therefore, and what follows? This is a marriage. A man and his wife. It was a wedding. It was a very simple wedding. The simplest wedding of all history. There was no dress. There was no suit. There were no rings. There were no flowers. There was no officiant. There was no groomsmen. There were no bridesmaids. Obviously, there was no photography. There was a groom who was sleeping. And then out of that groom, God built a bride. And then He woke up the groom and He brought to Him the bride. And they were married. God brought the woman to the man. Now, we can understand more of all of this as we keep going into the text and consider Adam's response to God's act of bringing to him the woman. And let's notice with respect to Adam's response that we have in the text what Adam said, the content of his speech, and then also we have the manner of his speaking, how he said it. And we find all of this in verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Woman. Obviously, Adam does not know where this creature who now appears before him has come from because Adam was sleeping. So God must have told Adam. And as soon as God tells Adam, Adam knows he's a man. 
And now this one had been taken out of him, right? Out of him, out of his rib. So knowing I'm a man, Adam says, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of me, a man. Woman. She is a woman. What is a woman? A woman is a female, we could say, man. A female man. And then you understand sometimes we use the word man to refer to a male. And sometimes we use the word man to refer to a hue man, human. A woman is a female human. A woman is not an animal, so don't treat her like one. A woman is not an angel, so do not have expectations for her as if she were. A woman is not a male. That's a contradiction and confusion. A female male? A woman is a female human. The human being comes in two versions. There's the female version and there is the male version. Genesis 1 verse 27. So God created man in His own image and the image of God created He Him. Male and female created He Him. In the Hebrew tongue, if you want to take a noun and make it feminine grammatically, then you add the ending ah. So in verse 23, we have the Hebrew word for man, which is ish. And we have the Hebrew word for woman, which is isha. She shall be called isha because she was taken out of ish. What is a woman? A woman is the female version of the human. In the English, we have man and woman. In the Hebrew, we have ish and isha, the female version. And the glory of the woman is built by God is that she is, according to the text, meat for the man. This woman is at His level. She's of His rank. She's of His spirituality. She has the same soul. She's made in the image of God. And she's a rational, moral creature. And she has His same body. That is, a body of the same substance as the man. She's just like the man, but she is the female version so that for all of her sameness, she is different. Physically, Biologically, sexually, psychologically, emotionally. And we don't have the time or the purpose tonight to try to articulate all these differences between the male and the female, but only to underscore the male and the female are different. And as a woman, as a female now, she perfectly corresponds to the man. She balances him out. She makes him complete. What? He lacks, he finds in her. They are perfect 
compliments. And they go together and God brought them together. God didn't make the woman out of the dust of the ground and give her some independent existence. And now the woman can go live her own life somewhere in the Garden of Eden. God made a man out of the dust of the ground and God made a woman out of the man. And then what did God do? He took that woman and immediately He brought her right back to that man. They go together. And in that relationship, He has authority. He is head. And she is helper. She was not made first out of the dust of the ground. And then the man made out of her. And then she names the man. He was made first out of the dust of the ground. She was taken out of Him. He names her. And God gives to Him authority and headship. And she's the helper. And she will lovingly assist and serve her man in marriage as God brings her to the man. God certainly didn't bring a man to a man, a male to a male. Homosexuality is a vile perversion. He built a female and brought the female to the male. And Adam knew it. And thus he said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. So what is a woman? If you go back to the beginning, a woman is the female version of the human being. A woman is taken out of man. And the woman was brought to the man as the only creature in the whole of the universe who could be a compliment for Him. That's what He said. But now consider how He uttered these words. As to the manner of His speaking, it is disguised a bit in the text, but it becomes plain that Adam was not simply uttering a bare statement of fact, but Adam is exclaiming. He's uttering a cry of delight in verse 23. And that's evident from two considerations. First of all, the surrounding circumstances in paradise. It's day six. Adam had a a very busy day. First day of his existence. He's working in the Garden of Eden. It's paradise. He's observing all these wonderful things that God had made. He, he has not seen another human being. There is no human being. It wouldn't even have entered into his imagination that there could be another human being. So God starts bringing him these animals one after another. Then God puts him to sleep. He enters into a deep sleep. And then God wakes him God wakes him up. Now, now standing before Adam is the most magnificent and astonishing thing he has ever laid his eyes upon. Right in front of him is a woman in all of her beauty and glory as adorned by God, he had never seen anything like her. And there she stood. And his heart must have been pounding 
pounding with excitement. And so when we read in the text, and Adam said, we could understand that, and Adam cried with delight. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And you can only imagine what she said. I don't know. We can only imagine. There they were, the two of them. They were naked and they were not ashamed. And they came together in all of the bliss of holy matrimony. Full of delight. But in addition to the circumstances, let's notice the language Adam uses. Two little words are very important in verse 23. First of all, now. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones. He does not simply say, this is bone of my bones, but now. And that little word means now finally. Now at last. And the idea is not that Adam had become sinfully impatient. But God's bringing these animals to Adam. And it didn't take very long. Probably right away. That Adam understands each one has another. And I'm the only one who's alone. And the day goes on and here come more birds and more cattle and more beasts of the field. And God keep presses, He's pressing it deeper and deeper and deeper into Adam. I'm the only one. I'm the only one who's alone. And the day keeps going. And then God puts Adam to sleep. And that Adam opens his eyes. And what does he say? This is now... Now at last, now finally, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. It's a cry of delight. And secondly, he says this. Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Now probably none of us would use that near demonstrative pronoun this to refer to our wife so that in your, you're in a big crowd of people. You meet someone new and they say, oh, so you're married. Who's your wife? And you wouldn't, probably wouldn't say this. Adam says, this is now bone of my bones. And he says that because he doesn't want rashly to use any kind of term that would limit her glory in any way, any kind of term that would call attention only to some aspect of her glorious being. But he says this, this one standing before me now for all that she is from the crown of her head down to the sole of her feet, all that she is externally in the body and all that she is internally and spiritually all the way down into the deepest recesses of her heart. This one here now, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. It was a cry of delight. Adam understands this woman is from him. Adam understands this woman is for him as God brings 
the woman to the man. There's much significance in this teaching of the beginning of the Bible for us tonight. Three points especially. One with respect to man, one with respect to woman, and another with respect to God. As God brought the woman to the man. Let's begin with man. The significance of this teaching of Scripture is that we learn tonight it is not good for the man to be alone. Of course, there are exceptions, and the exception is by no means inferior. It is God's will for some men that they be alone, that they be single and live the single life, and it's good for them. It's not good for them in the absolute sense of the word. It is not good for any man to be alone from Christ and from the body of Christ, which is the church. But it is good for some men to be alone with respect to a woman and to live the single life. In fact, the inspired Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 extols the virtues of the single life and wishes that other men would be single as he is single because then you can devote yourself more to the Lord and to His kingdom. You think of the thousands of miles that the Apostle Paul logged on his missionary journeys. Just think of one journey. All the challenges and difficulties and the miles he traversed, imagine him on one journey with a wife and a family of children. Would to God others would be like me alone to be devoted to the Lord and His kingdom entirely without having to care for a wife and children. While there are exceptions, the exception does not silence the rule of Scripture. And the rule expressed here is that it's not good for the man to be alone. And that's not only a word in this context for this man, it's a word for man. And the rest of Scripture makes that plain too. It's not good for the man to be alone. It's a word for single young men in the church. Ordinarily, ordinarily, the man without the woman is incomplete in his life. And the church must say that. It is not good for the man to be alone. Young man of marriageable age and circumstances, get married. And if you're too immature and you're too self-centered and selfish and worldly-minded and you don't want financial and spiritual responsibility, then you do need to grow up in the Lord Jesus. It's not good for the man to be alone. Pray for a spouse 
Be observant to God's providential hand as He brings to every man his wife. Keep your eyes open. Maybe we could all do a little more to bring our young adults here, there, and everywhere together. It's not good for the man to be alone. But that's not only God's Word to single men in general. It's God's Word to us who are married. Married man, it's not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to be married legally on paper, but not actually in practice. It's not good for you. If you do not consciously feel your need for your wife and desire your wife and draw near to your wife and communicate with your wife. It's not good for you to be alone from your wife and always, always alone from your wife and with your hobbies and your interests and your leisure and your sports and your books and your screen and your alcohol and another man's wife. It is not good for you to be alone. It's not good for you to deal harshly and cruelly with her so that she has to run from you and now you're both alone. And if there's any married man here tonight who regrets he ever got married because his wife makes him so miserable, keep reflecting the love and the faithfulness of Jesus and there is so much power in the cross. It's not good for you to be alone. If there is any man here who had a wife, but God took her away in death, or she left in unfaithfulness, our God has bowels of compassion for you. Not good. The man to be alone. And if the church ever begins to look like the Roman Catholic Church and force untold numbers of men into a vow of celibacy, and then the reaping of all kinds of sexual perversion, let it be stated loudly and clearly, it is not good for the man to be alone. It is good for the man to have his woman, his wife, to live with her sexually, spiritually, Emotionally, joint heirs of the grace of life, together with their God, it is good. Second, with respect to the woman tonight, we learn her glorious place in marriage is that of a helper. Again, there are exceptions in that not every woman will be married, and that is God's will that some women be single in the church. And they too are helpers. They might not have a man, but every woman has a place in the body of Christ and a helper there. But ordinarily, the woman will be married 
And God didn't make her to go do her own thing. He didn't make her to say, I don't need my man. I don't need him. I don't need this man. I'm the man. He didn't make her to be a boss, to boss the man. A ruler to rule the man. An arguer to argue with the man and be contentious with him. He didn't make her a Facebooker to Facebook her man into aloneness. A few months ago, a middle-aged man came to me and said, help, my wife won't get off Facebook and Pinterest. What do you mean? All day. Morning, noon, night. Every single day. Sunday too. Sunday too. She's on Facebook or Pinterest. Even when we're in the car, she's on Facebook. Well, of course, the first question is, well, what are you doing to make her want to be with you? I try. Can we play a game? Can we go on a walk? Can we just talk? She won't get off Facebook. God never made the woman to Facebook her husband into aloneness. God made the woman a helper who is fit for her man. God made the woman to say, this is my man right here. From the crown of his head all the way down to the bottom of his feet. All that he is externally in the body and internally and spiritually, all the way down into the deepest recesses of his heart. This is my man. And God made him my head here in this home. And he has responsibility to put bread on our table. To put something in our hands so we can give to the poor. And my man often has responsibility on behalf of the Christian school, on behalf of the Christian church. He's busy. He has much stress in his life. This is my man. What can I do? What can I say? Who can I be to make your life more enjoyable? Because God made me a helper who is fit. For you. And to the God fearing woman, that's not bondage. That's not slavery. That's not unnatural. That's her place. That's her glory. That's her honor. And if there's any woman who says that it's too lowly, it's too shameful, remember that the woman is the crowning masterpiece of the whole creation so that before God made the woman, God said it is not good. And after God made the woman, As a helper, then he said, now it is good, I rest. Third and finally, as the climactic conclusion, we learn two things with respect to God and we draw these from His names in the text. The name is revelatory. I won't read all the verses, but four times we read the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God, the Lord God. First of all, He's God. And that name in the text emphasizes all of His virtue as the Creator. Who can do what our God did? Our God made the whole universe out of nothing. Our God made the man out of the dust of the earth. Our God made the woman out of a, out of a rib. Let me give you a rib. 
you give me a rib. Now you take that rib and you make a conscious, self-conscious, thinking, willing, rational, moral, thoughtful, considerate, loving, beautiful, glorious, human being called a woman who is more glorious than the sun, moon, and stars. Make a woman out of a rib. Who can do what our God can do? Let everything that hath breath sing forever doxologies to the great Almighty Maker of heaven and earth. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. Glory be to God. And His name in the text is Lord in all capital letters. That's Jehovah. You know, the God who reveals Himself as the God of unchanging covenant faithfulness, salvation in the Lord Jesus. So that you, when you come to the New Testament, you find the name Jesus. And Jesus means this name, Lord, Jehovah, salvation. Jehovah in the text is the God of salvation. There is no salvation yet at this point in history. There is no sin yet. But it is the God of salvation who makes the woman and brings her to the man. Indeed, it is not good that the man be alone because as long as he's alone, then the great glorious plan of salvation which our God devised from eternity will not be fulfilled The plan of God is to make a man, to make a woman, to bring her to the man. And then they fall into sin. And then they will begin to have children. And the human race will will come forth. And the earth will begin to be populated. And the the whole of humanity will be spiritually dead, corrupt, and fallen in sin. And the God of salvation will come and according to His his eternal decree of election, He will draw out of that fallen human race a peculiar people, a church chosen from eternity to be His people. And human history will continue. And one day, God will take His only begotten Son and cause Him to be born of a woman as the seed of the woman. And He will come forth, true God of true God, true man of true man. And He will suffer and He will die for all of the sins of all of those people appointed from eternity to be God's people. And one day the Lord Jesus Christ will come down from the clouds of glory where He is now, and He will take all these people, the church, out of every nation, tribe, and tongue, and He will take all these people and bring them into the highest heights of heaven for the consummation of God's covenant, to live with Him, Jesus Christ, the head, the mediator of the covenant, and to be with God forever and ever in the heavenly paradise. And then God will be all in all. All the glory to God all the ungodly cast away into perdition with the devil and all his fallen angels, the demons, and all God's people and all the holy angels in heaven to worship God forever and ever in Jesus Christ. Now how will that ever happen? When he's alone. Adam all by Himself in the garden. It is not good for the man to be alone. So the God of salvation says, 
will make him a woman and bring to him the woman. And God be thanked that he not only brought to Adam a woman, he brought to Adam a Savior and to all of us tonight as the children of God a Savior to whom we belong, bone of his bones and flesh of his flesh with blood to cover all our unfaithfulness in holy wedlock and all our unfaithfulness in the single life and a Savior who gives us His Holy Spirit so that we can strive to be faithful in holy wedlock and we can strive to be faithful in the single life and so that we and our children can stand in these last evil perilous days and stand on Genesis 2 and the truth of God regarding marriage, manhood, and womanhood while the foundations are crumbling, God ever give us the spirit of this great Savior. Amen. Let us pray. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word, the whole of Thy Word, including the beginning of it in the book of Genesis. Impress us with its relevance, its importance, and the glory of it as Thou art revealed in these words. To Thee be the glory in Jesus Christ at Thy right hand. In His name we pray. Amen.